chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Please keep your Bibles open. you've written for our good and for your glory. We pray to help us to understand it tonight in our main church meeting and as we have our children's group studying the same lessons. And we pray you'll help us as we study Christianity Explored in Farsi and we pray that you will make Jesus known and loved. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. But let's start by looking at a simple question. How do you kill a church? I'm not saying that we're learning that uh, as uh, a skill we want to uh, develop tonight, but how might it happen? How can a church die? Now some people say it can die because of outside attack. Another word is persecution. But normally when persecution happens, the church grows, not dies. Other people say you can kill a church by not persecution, but division. So people say things in the church that take away people's confidence in the Bible, and so it all ends. So, for example, just on Friday, we had, in the Church of England, a bishop who is openly homosexual made a big church leader, made a bishop. And we think, well, if that sort of thing happens, the church will die. But again, the truth is, if you look at the Bible, you will find that right from the beginning there were false teachers, and the church has survived. It may be if the Church of England does things like that, the Church of England might die, but the Church will not die. So what is it then that might make the Church die? And I want to suggest from this letter, it is Christians 
living Christians, but living Christians who just want three quid's worth of Christianity. Three quid's worth of Jesus. Now, it's easy to understand why, why for many people, a little is enough. So, in our society, which is secular, where Christianity is pushed to the edge, if you have just three quid's worth of Jesus, it doesn't worry people too much. It isn't that important to you. You can still fit in. Our secular society can make us think like that. Our own selfishness can make us think like that. Often what I want more is my comfort, not Jesus. So three quid's worth of Christianity will help me to get by. Now, that's what Paul wants to look at in this letter. He wants to help us with the pull towards three quid's worth of Christianity. And the time to talk about undersizing your Christianity or downsizing your Christianity is not when a church is dead, at which point if you talk about three quid's worth of Christianity, people might still think it's too much. No, the point you want to talk about this is when a church is full of life, when it is firing on all four cylinders and the temptation is when the gospel is uh, so large in your life, the temptation comes just to make it a bit smaller and head for the three-quid version. So Paul wants to help us with that temptation and he's going to give us three words that will help us to see ourselves in a way that will help us against that temptation. And the first two words I'm going to put together, and you find them both in verse 1, let me talk about servants, and let me talk about saints. Paul says that, doesn't he, in verse 1? Paul and Tim, the servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Now, Christ Jesus, Christ means king. It's not Jesus' surname, it's his title. Christ Jesus means King Jesus. And that fits better in verse 1, where Paul wants to introduce himself as a servant of King Jesus. That's what he wants to tell you he is. You and I know that he is also a very important apostle. But he says, this is what I want you to know. I'm a servant of King Jesus. And I want to suggest that is a fantastic way of thinking because it holds together. It gives us an integrated life. So let me give you an example. Natalie, who just took the children out, she's a teacher. But to just introduce her as a teacher only explains a part of her life. It explains Monday to Friday. But it doesn't explain all of Monday to Friday 
because that's Monday to Friday when she, after school, when she isn't a teacher. And it doesn't explain every Monday to Friday because teachers have holidays. So, if she introduces herself as a teacher, you understand one part of her. But if she introduces herself as a servant of King Jesus, then you know that that's who she is, whatever role she is in. That's what she is when she's a teacher in school, when she's a mother after school, when she is helping us with church things, doing her holidays. In all of those things, the hats may change, but her identity is still the same. And it's a great benefit to wake up every morning with just one identity to live through the day, to be a servant of King Jesus. But then Paul talks about the church and something for us to think about as a church as we think about what he says about this word saints he talks about not just another bible word he is talking about a whole new humanity of people that god has created they are god's holy ones that's what saints mean and if you read about how this church started in Philippi, which you can do in Acts chapter 16 and verses 12 onwards, it's a story you might like to look at later. But when people became Christians in Philippi at the start, there was a woman businessman from Laodicea who happened to be in Philippi on a business trip. There was a slave girl and there was an ex-soldier of the Roman army who was in charge of the local prison. That's what their old life meant to them. But now, they are part of a new humanity. They are no longer called that anymore. They are called saints in Christ Jesus. That is what they are in Philippi. At the end of the letter, you might want to look at almost the last verse, um, where in, um, uh, in, in, in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, and the brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially of Caesar's household. So, Saints, you can see, is the word that Paul is using for Christians everywhere. But in this case, they are the saints in Philippi. Now, that, I think, is something really important for us to realize. Our identity in being saints in Christ Jesus is that we are actually a new human race. That's what God makes when people become Christians. And it is very important for us to see that these saints are all living, not dead. 
Generally, when people talk about saints, they are talking about dead, good people. And so, um, today, I think they have made a saint of Mother Teresa. Okay. Now, for Mother Teresa to become a saint, she's got to fulfill certain qualifications. She's got to have done two miracles. She's got to have lived a specially good life. A committee look at that specially good life, and at the end they decide, yes, she has all it takes to be a saint. She's one of the top-notch people. And so she goes straight to heaven. Now that is how the Roman Catholic Church views saints. It's not how the Bible views saints. Saints are not a New Year's Honours List award that you give to certain people after distinguished service. Saints is what normal people are when God puts them into this new humanity and makes them into God's special people. And so every Christian is a saint. And that helps us as well, doesn't it? It gives us our identity as a group of people in Beckentry. These are the saints in Philippi. That means when you look at a location like Philippi, you talk about the Christians in that location together. Now that, I think, is very helpful for our state, where some people feel if they are Nigerians, they have got to go to Bo. We were meeting a person yesterday who told us that. In order to meet other Christians who are also Nigerians and therefore are able to meet together. But when you look at the Bible, it talks about the saints in a certain area being together. These are the saints in Philippi, in this place. And therefore, they meet up. And together they show us how God loves to put all the difference. The businesswoman, the slave, the ex-army soldier. Put them all sorts into one location together to show the surrounding world what the new humanity that God is making is going to look like. And when you see how people are saints in that multi-coloured and uh, yet united way, what, you, what it leads to in verse 2 is grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When you see yourself as a servant, you realise how gracious God is to invite you to follow him as king. What a privilege he gives. And peace comes when you realize how secure you are as part of this new humanity that God is bringing together and you are now firmly a part of it. Grace and peace comes from seeing ourselves as servants and saints. But there's a third word I promised you. And that's the word partnership. And that's there in verse 5. And you can see Paul thanks God and prays for this church and for their partnership. Now, partnership is the Greek word koinonia, which is often translated in church circles, in church speak. People normally talk about fellowship. 
But the trouble with church lingo is that fellowship normally means the kind of chat time you have together over a cup of coffee at the end of service. Okay? So fellowship is really linked with tea. But partnership, you've got to stick the M on the end. Partnership is team, where you work together with one heart and one mind for the gospel. It is, it is a, a, a squad of people working together to get something done, to get gospel work done. And so you have a team who are one mind. If you look at verse 7, you see that they are absolutely one with the Apostle Paul in the defence and the confirmation of the gospel. That's what he says. I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers of me with grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel. And here's the interesting thing if you look at verse 6. It is only when you see people in partnership in this way that you know that God has begun a good work in them. So if you look at verse 6, Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work will bring it to completion. And I'm right to think that because you are in partnership. I know God has begun a good work because people are in partnership together for the gospel. And so you know how whether God has begun a good work or not in church members by just remembering the tea or the team. If people are here for the tea, uh, fellowship, but we don't know if God has begun a good work. If people are here as part of a gospel team, then we know God has started a good work in them. And that is why we have confidence that that person will, in the end, find God completing that work at the end of their lives. They are of one mind. They are secure in God. That's not to say that they never make mistakes, that they don't fall, but it's like being on a ship. When the storms are there, a sailor might fall on the deck, but never off the deck into the sea. And they pick themselves up and they join the rest of the crew again in the gospel voyage, giving themselves to that work. You know God has begun a good work when you see people in partnership for the gospel and not just in church for the tea. But secondly, you can see, sorry, uh, secondly you can see that there is also one big heart in verse 8. Paul really loves them. He says that, doesn't he? I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And that is God's work too, because it is the affection of Christ Jesus. How does God create affection in a fellowship? I want to suggest it happens 
when people pray for the others in their fellowship, that they will grow as Christians. And so they will grow in love, in verse 9. Uh, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And you grow love, you pray that your church will grow love. Remember the context is defense and confirmation of the gospel. You pray members of your church family will grow love as your love swells out to include other people who are not in your fellowship. That your love may grow more and more and more because when you start off, when you're not Christian, largely your love is quite small. You love your family, maybe close friends. But once you become Christian, uh, you start praying that people will start to love more and more and more, that their love circle becomes wider, that it takes in more people, that it stretches. And so Paul is praying for love to grow more and more. But he hasn't left the mind because he still talks about how that love is to grow with knowledge and discernment. At the end of verse 9, in order that there could be wise choices that are made in verse 10. And that is our daily need. All of us have got to make different choices. And there are good choices and there are bad choices. And the good choices are the ones that are gospel choices. That want to enlarge love and bring people in to uh, the fellowship of God's people, the partnership of God's people. So, for example, if you hear the music turning up in your neighbor's house late at night, it's possible for you to make the choice to go to the door and to be strongly and forcefully demanding that the music is turned off or turned down because you want to go to sleep and your children are waking up and you can make your point in such an eloquent way that you can go home and you hear the music coming down or turning off and you walk in through the door but you have served your convenience you may not have served their conversion because the way we speak to people may make the point but not win them to the Lord Jesus to make him attractive to them. And so therefore uh, the right choice is always the choice that makes the gospel attractive to others. And wise choices are always those choices that say how will this decision impact and help people to uh, find out more and find out how attractive the Lord Jesus is. And if my affection for you is to grow, it'll grow as I pray that you grow your big heart and your big mind. I think it's chicken and egg. The more I pray that you will get a big heart and a big mind, the more my affection for you will become real.
And the more you get a big heart and a big mind for the gospel, the more my affection for you is going to grow in response to that because I'll be thrilled, delighted at the progress that you are making. And so therefore, we find that uh, partnership has both heart and mind working well. Now, let's finish and say, how will this affect us? I want to first suggest that if you're not a Christian and you're wondering what will help you to decide, let me suggest this one thing. Will you ask God to give you a new way of looking at yourself so that in your heart of hearts you want to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ in all the different compartments of your life and ask him to do that. It'll be a great thing to ask for because it'll hold the whole of your life together. Otherwise you will have this little bit that goes to church and the other bit that affects the family, affects the work, affects the uh, leisure centre, and you are lots of different people. Be one person, held together by this one desire to be a servant of King Jesus. Pray that that will become your identity, because wonderfully that will mean that God draws you into... Uh, his new humanity, saints in Christ Jesus. And your life will know his grace and his peace. You will be aware of how gracious a God he is and how secure you are in him. If you're new, these are great things to look to God to give you. But what if church services are your thing and you've been here and you've been to other places? Let me ask you, has God really begun a good work in you? Another way of asking the same question is, are you a passenger Christian or are you a partner Christian? Are you someone who comes for tea or are you someone who is in the team? If it's just uh, services we go to and we're not involved, in the partnership of the gospel, then isn't it a good time to ask God to give you an upgrade? To ask him to do a good work in you, to start a good work in you, in verse 7. To make you a partner in your local church, in our case, Beckentry, not Philippi, that you might be a partner in the defense and in the confirmation of the gospel. If we don't want to be partners, if we're just here for the tea rather than for the team, then ultimately there is no guarantee that God has begun a good work, which equally means that there is no guarantee there will be a completion at the end. And church attendance will count for nothing. Well, what happens if you are a believer? In other words, what happens if you are a saint and a servant of Jesus Christ? Well, I want to suggest that we grow our affection for each other 
by praying in the two ways Paul prays. First, pray that the hearts of your brothers and sisters in this church will get bigger and bigger and bigger. The temptation is always to shrink. But we need to be increasing our circles of friendship, our, service, our, our circles of care, to bring in a great group of people that we love at present. We need our love to be stretched and including more and more. But equally, pray for big minds, for us to make good gospel decisions, decisions that are approved of in the day of Christ. In other words, decisions that are brilliant when seen in the future. So it is very easy, isn't it, for us to go into a new week thinking that it's just important for us to get the decisions right in this week, in our work, that will land us on top at the end. And that's not a big mind, that's just a small mind. That just says, I just want to survive the next seven days. But the big mind takes on the big future and wants to make the best decisions in the light of that future. Decisions that are approved of in the day of Christ. Therefore we want large hearts, we want large minds that are blameless in the day of Christ. So what verse 11 wants us to do is to swap our three quids worth of Christianity for lives that are filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ because we have to ask him for these gifts and then he gives them to us and they come to the glory and praise of God. And that's what uh, gospel lives are always going to lead to in the fruit that they bring. Well, let's uh, give some room to pray. Why don't I stop? Why don't you pray? Maybe you want to ask God to change your mind, to make it a bigger thought in your mind, to be a servant of Christ Jesus, of King Jesus. Maybe it's a good thing to use this time to pray that God will make you a partner of the gospel work that's going on here and to lead you into that partnership. It may be that uh, you just want to pray for the people sitting next to you, that their hearts will get bigger and love those who are outside more and more and that the minds get bigger, that we make good gospel decisions that uh, are approving of what is excellent because they have the future in front and they want to uh, be smart in the light of that day when Jesus comes back. Let's pray that God will help us. I'll give a minute of quiet and then I'll finish off by praying and then you can ask questions, make the comments and uh, at some point we need to plug the computer in. Um, I'll get the lead but 
for the minute, let's just uh, pray in quiet. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for saying so much to us out of just 11 verses. Please work through your spirits that we long to be servants of Christ Jesus, long to be partners of each other in the gospel, and longing to pray for each other that we might have bigger hearts and bigger minds to live for the glory of your name. Amen. Mm -hmm.